0: Nervous That's okay We just wanted, really wanted to
1: say Happy Thanksgiving <laughs> I'm expecting him to thank you <laughs> He's going to bite me <laughs>
2: Get that hey,
0: Colton Get in the picture
3: Josh,
2: Josh hey,
0: Get in the
3: picture I am no.
0: Monty family take three Everybody's in Hi everybody It's the Monty's From Papua New Guinea just wanting to wish you happy Thanksgiving.
3: Happy Thanksgiving.
0: We love you guys. We
2: miss you. Miss you. And I think that's it.
0: <laughs> All right. Okay, at this time, you guys, would like to go ahead. And, I won't put you in any order just as, as you go. Go ahead.
3: Is this on? Should All right. Be. Well, as Josh said, he did send an email out yesterday, so... Eric and I were getting ready to go out for dinner and he comes to me and he reads this email and he says, Josh is looking for some someone to give a testimony of Thanksgiving. And I said to Eric, well, good luck on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but as I thought, it didn't take very long for us to think about things that we're thankful for. Uh, first and foremost, I'm thankful for the Christian husband that the Lord has sent. And I, I am thankful for our growth together in the Lord. We are thankful for our children, that they're healthy, and as some of you know, in particular, Eric's daughter Olivia has struggled with eating disorders, but this is probably the first holiday season in a long time where we have not had to really worry about that. She's healthy and she's doing well, and so we're very thankful for that. We're thankful for our parents, and again, in particular, I think some of you know that my mom has really struggled physically, but I am thankful for the strength that the Lord has given to her and has given to my father, Um, He's been just a tremendous support and uh, shown a great deal of love, and that's been very important. And uh, we're thankful for our Big Woods family, for sure, and the word of God and the gift of music. Thank you again, Laura, for sharing with us. Uh, But last night, as we went to dinner with a couple that we don't get to see very often— I leaned over with tears in my eyes to Eric and I said, I think we have a story to share about thankfulness. And so Eric's gonna share a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you had to mention the tears. <laughs> so, uh, very close friends to us, husband and wife, uh, who we've known quite a while. And several years ago, um, the wife was diagnosed with a severe spinal uh, condition that risked paralysis. and. Uh, She was in utter pain and really struggled uh, for a long time. And her doctor, who was not a believer, insisted that she had to have surgery. And uh, she didn't believe that was the right course. And they continued to pray about that. And uh, to one point, even in an argument with a doctor, she said emphatically, you don't know the power of my God. Well, she was correct, and she is doing very well today. She is... uh, able to full range of motion, live a normal life, and doing very well. It doesn't mean she's totally out of danger, but she continues to do very well, and, and what a blessing she is in inspiring not only that medical staff, but all those around her, including their very young children. So, uh, continuing on, uh, this past summer, her husband was diagnosed with... Four, um, Stage 4B cancer. The kid around, it's not enough just to say stage 4, you got to say stage 4B, uh, which is not good. And uh, they gave him maybe to Thanksgiving. And uh, so we give thanks that we were having dinner with them last night. And um, what just an amazing spirit. And that's what he talks about. They are both incredible believers and live each day to the fullest. But what's important is to watch, as he goes through this, how he inspires others through witnessing, through sharing his story. Uh, it inspires us, inspires all around, all around them, including their kids. And he knows that there's a really tough road in front of him. But he's been able to take an experimental drug that has actually attacks the cancer cells in his body that produces cancer. So it's attacking the cells that produce the cancer and uh, he has been able to gain weight. Uh, He is doing very well. He actually will find out on December 14th, so we're asking for your prayers. Uh, Full body scan will be in Pittsburgh to be able to find out what his next stage is. So we are so thankful for their friendship, but even more thankful for their ability to inspire, to speak to others, and to use their illnesses for what the Lord has called us all to do.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, I think most of you know me. I'm back there on the keyboard. Um, my name is O'Dell, and I've been at Big Woods for a couple of years now. But God has blessed me with the best friends on the planet. Now, you might argue the point, but let me explain. Um, I knew at some point in the early 90s that I was going to have to be responsible for providing for my family. So I didn't know what to do. The only thought I had was go to college. So, but I was terrified, I mean terrified. I was, you know, 35 and didn't know how I'd do it and I have wonderful friends who are family who said, Sean, you can do it, we'll help you. Whatever it takes, you can do it. They did help me. They watched my children. They took me to class when I didn't have a vehicle. They helped me not to have to worry about whether my kids were cared for after school. They fed them, they played with them, they filled in the gaps because I didn't have parents who were able to do that. I didn't, they, my children don't have grandparents. And then there's an, another couple who encouraged me and kept saying you can do it because every single semester I was ready to quit. I was, I was sure I was gonna fail, every single semester. But they got me through it. So I felt like I should tear my diploma up in little pieces and give each one of those families a part of it because I didn't do it by myself. God put those people in my life when I needed them. They're still in my life and it gets even better. When my marriage ended, I didn't have a job. I didn't have any way to support my kids. Well, guess what the best friends on the planet did. They supported us for six months until I could get a job and support my kids. That is such a blessing to me, has been such a blessing to me and my children. I am so grateful that God provides friends.
1: Well, as I contemplated not being here, God had a different idea, I guess. Over the past months, it has struck me that we serve a God of abundance. And as I go through the scriptures, I find that he gives us abundant life. Many, many times it's in there that his loving kindness is abundant. His truth is abundant. Redemption, goodness, his strength, pardon, grace, and comfort. He gives all of those things to us in abundance. And I am grateful that I serve a God that gives abundantly.
4: Thank you, Dave. I'm not going to be as eloquent as that at all. Um, You know, when Josh sent out the email on Saturday, um, I have been thinking about um, coming forward and just basically volunteering to, to share what I was thankful for. Um, and then God placed on my heart, um, yeah, you need to do that, and you need to be honest about where you are in your thankfulness. Um, see, we serve a sovereign God, and the thing about God is that God is sovereign regardless of whether we want him to be or not. Um, he's sovereign in the good and the bad. It's really easy to say that in a rote fashion, um, to almost make it, make it ritualistic in regards to how we look at that. But imagine if your loved one is on the cusp of death and you have to face God and you have to say, God, you are sovereign and let me praise you, regardless of the outcome of this situation. Um, And that's where Justin and I and the rest of our family kind of found ourselves. Um, Were we gonna serve a sovereign God and allow for God to be merciful and graceful, um, even if he chose to go another direction, regardless of our prayers? Um, And so I am thankful for the outcome, of course, of our prayers, that our prayers will answer. But I am thankful for a God who can take me in my weakness, in my questioning, in my anxiety. And he can say to me with thanksgiving and supplication, bring all things to me. Bring all things to me, and I will give you comfort. And so I'm thankful for a God who provides me with comfort, even in the times where I don't deserve it. I'm thankful for a God who sees me for not who I am in my heart, but who I am in his eyes. Thank you. Amen.
0: Thanks. Right, thank you so much for, for sharing with us this morning. What a great start. And a great reminder during this Thanksgiving season of, of all that we have, Kenny. I just couldn't help but be reminded. Uh, we were kind of talking about this in our, our home group a couple weeks ago, talking about how we, sh- we are told to come boldly to the throne of grace. And I kind of compared that to when you're home, you're comfortable. You don't ask permission to go to the refrigerator. You know, you don't. You, you can go and put your feet on the couch. You know, you don't necessarily do that at somebody else's house. J- Jesus is saying. Come in, be comfortable, you belong. And he remembers our frame, he knows that we are but dust, and he tells us anyways, come in, come boldly. Thank you, thank you, all of you that shared so much. Uh, That's a wonderful start. Let's go to Luke chapter 17. Again, so much to be thankful for. Uh, Just want to express our thankfulness. Uh, My wife and I just love being here. Um, It is such a blessing. I still get those moments every once in a while driving down the road. And for a guy who knew nothing but Florida just driving, goes, I'm I'm in Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) It's still a lot to process. But uh, it is a joy to be here. It is a joy to be a part of this church. Uh, So many of you have blessed us in so many ways, uh, both tangibly and intangibly. It's such a blessing to be able to sit down with people much smarter than I and borrow their brains and borrow their wisdom Uh, As I stumble through different things of life, there's so many that that I I couldn't take the time to share every single name, but so many many of you are a blessing to us in so many ways. It's a joy to be in a church where you can just be yourself. Uh, You can share your struggles. You can say, you know what, I'm in the middle of it, and I don't like life right now, And, and that you won't get judged for that. You'll have somebody come run to you and say, that's okay, put your arm around me, We'll walk through this together. That is such, such a blessing. So thank you so much for, for so many of you that uh, have done that for us and, and have modeled that for us. Thankful also for a pastor who is out and sends me a text at 8 o'clock this morning and says he's praying for me. So if you're watching online, Pastor Tim, thank you so much uh, for your encouragement this morning as well. Luke chapter 17, just very quickly we're going to give you uh, uh, some, some backdrop here of what's, what's going on in this, this uh, passage Uh, This story here about Jesus cleansing the ten lepers is actually unique to Luke. Luke was a doctor, so you can think of somebody that's probably very detail-oriented. And as you look through the passage of Luke, you're going to see a lot of details that he includes uh, in his writing, which is a lot different than Mark. He is part of the Synoptic Gospels, but a lot of the themes that he focuses on are actually kind of unique or, or, or peculiar to him, where Matthew was written primarily to a Jewish mind, and Mark to the Roman mind, Luke was written to the Greek or the the everyday man. Uh, Luke purposefully infused historical events with his message to connect those that would read it with his message of hope and salvation. Luke stressed Jesus' concern for all people, especially for individuals that Jewish society of his day despised, such as the Gentiles, the poor, women. Children and sinners. And boy, I, I, I identify with that last one. one. One of the commentators that I read wrote this about Luke. He said he wrote the gospel of the underdog. All right, how many of you like a good underdog? I, I, That's one of the reasons I love watching March Madness. You know, you've got that one team. Every once in a while, down the road, we've got Bucknell. They get in there and they go deep. Uh, you, you've got some other teams. Butler, a few years ago, went to the championship, almost knocked off Duke one shot away. you know. Just, it's always fun to see the underdog win. I don't know if that's just the way I'm made or what, but I just can't help but root for the underdog. Okay, this team's supposed to lose. Okay, I'm for that team. I'm going to go, come on, I want to see the upset. I, I, I want to see them win. But that's how, how Luke writes. He writes the gospel of the underdog. In Luke, Jesus has mercy on social outcasts, and he shows how the grace of God extends beyond the religious. And boy, isn't that a powerfully relevant message today. We pick up on Luke's Gospel in chapter 17. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is kind of like right before the last week. All right, so he's on his way to Jerusalem. When he gets to Jerusalem, we'll see him ride in triumphantly and then humbly stumble out, bearing the weight of the cross in our sins On his shoulders. But before he gets there, let's look at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. and go your way, your faith has made you well. Father, we thank you for this morning that you have given us, the time that you have given us, the place that you have put us, the people that you have put in our lives, Lord. We, we praise you for that. Thank you for the testimonies we heard this morning. I know there, there are countless more. Lord, may we constantly go to you with thanksgiving and gratitude for your love for us. Bless your word this morning. In Jesus' And we pray. Amen. Here we see Jesus passing between Galilee and Samaria. Now, as you know, uh, talking about the the Samaritan woman just a few weeks ago, ago, Samaria was no place a good Jew really wanted to go. That was outcast, wrong side of the tracks, wrong side of town, wrong people. They didn't want to go there. But Jesus, it's interesting how he likes to go where nobody else wants to go, and he does so. Uh, all the time, and he does so happily. Right, it, was a, it was a terrible reminder uh, of an of a unholy time when king after king uh, re- rejected the true God, this, this area of Samaria. There's, there's a long history there, all the way of, of, of false idol worship, even to the point of, of pagan uh, worship, uh, child sacrifice, just some terrible things. God sent prophet after prophet to warn his people, come back to me, come back to me. They rejected, and ultimately, God had sent in the Assyrian army to kind of wipe out the the northern kingdom, Israel, removed a lot of them. Some of them stayed behind. Those people that were there uh, intermingled, intermarried. So now they're they're not a true Jewish. They they were considered, you know, as terrible as this sounds, half breeds. They were considered. Dogs and and when I say dogs, I don't mean the little cute puppy that you get your kid for Christmas and they're all excited about. In, in this time period, a dog was a, a a mangy mongrel that really had no purpose in society, just kind of roamed about, being a nuisance and being a scavenger. It was, it was a terrible influence or a terrible insult uh, to, to have that said of you. But like I said, isn't this what we love about Jesus? That the people that are Hated and rejected, he runs to. So here we have Jesus headed in to Samaria, and he's in an unnamed village just on the outskirts, in between Galilee and Samaria. And on this way into town, a a group of lepers spot Jesus. Now, when we think of leprosy, we probably think of what they call Hansen's disease. And if any of you, any of you here are in medicine, I apologize because I'm just going to kind of run through this and not really fully explain what that is, but uh, you, you've probably heard of leprosy. You think of the spots on the skin, flesh being eaten, different things like that. It's, it's not something that's good, and especially in this time. There's no treatment for it. There, there, was, there was no way to deal with it. And if you had leprosy uh, and, and what this was, it could have been this. It could have been uh, many other things. If you go back and study what leprosy was in the Bible, it is a very broad term, but uh, It could have been that, but what it was is you were considered unclean. You had to be removed from society. You had to be disconnected from fellowship. A lot of times it had, it symbolized a punishment. Something was happening to you for a sin you had committed. Whether that's true here or not, I'm not sure. I I think it may be, and I'll develop that here a little bit. But the Bible does tell us that leprosy could be inflicted for punishment for some particular sin. It was... Considered a mark of God's displeasure. It made you unclean. In other words, no one could get near you. No one could touch you. Uh, you weren't allowed to just intermingle in society. You had to be on the outside. You were lived as an outcast. Thus you see these men living outside the village. It separated you from worship. And, and understanding that that is being in the presence of God. You could not go and be in the presence of God, uh, i.e. the temple, synagogue, And if by some miracle you were to recover, you would have to go to the priest, and he could declare that you were clean, but no one could come and make you clean. All right, so the text does not tell us that the leprosy this man had were because of sin, but again, let's look at some things that that may show that it was because of their sin. Verse number 12 says, And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus... Master, have mercy on us. A couple of words jump out to me. If you consider this word "master," the word here is is exclusively used by Luke, and you don't find it anywhere else in the New Testament. You can really think of it in in our vernacular as them calling Jesus the boss, if you will, that they're recognizing him as even just more than that, really, as the ultimate authority. He was the one who had the authority consistent with miraculous power. Calling him master meant that they recognized him as the true and ultimate authority, higher than that of the religious authorities, of the civil authorities, and even Caesar himself. This was a high term that they used for Jesus. Not only did they recognize him as master, but they asked for mercy. Now, now, when's the last time that you called your doctor, made an appointment, walked in, and he says, what can I do for you? And you said, could you write me a prescription for some mercy? Probably not, right? You, you ask, hey, I've got this cough, and it won't go away. How can I deal with this? Or, or I'm, whatever it is that you're dealing with, you want them to fix the problem. Well, these guys had a very clear problem that could be easily seen And they don't ask for healing, they ask for mercy. Who asks for mercy? Who? Who's that? The guilty, sinners. The guilty. All right? So this word mercy here, I believe it indicates that they were asking for more than just personal healing, but they're looking for restoration. The fact that they were asking for mercy tells me they knew they were guilty and undeserving. When you ask for mercy, you don't go proudly, do you? You go humbly. They knew they were undeserving, but since they had met the master, the ultimate authority, they had a chance if he would extend mercy. Now, it's interesting because Jesus makes no grand response here. In fact, reading, they tied it kind of back to Elijah and Naaman. Remember, Naaman comes in to Elijah and says, I have leprosy. What do I do? Elijah doesn't even go out and meet him. He sends his servant out to this great general and says, go jump in the lake and then, well, in the river, and you'll be healed, basically. And, you know, no big deal. Well, wait, I shouldn't something big happen here? Shouldn't there be some kind of big production? Jesus is the same way here. He makes no grand response. He doesn't call them and touch them. He doesn't call in the crowds, hey, look at this. Watch what's about to happen. Nope. He just says, go and show yourselves to the priests. All he tells them. Doesn't even say you're healed. Doesn't even say you're going to be healed. He says, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, according to the text, nothing happens, not until they were on their way. That first step, and perhaps quite a few more, required a lot of faith. Jesus was testing their obedience. If they truly saw him as their master, then they would obey. It's one thing to call someone a title, it's another to respect someone as that title. And obey they did. And this was, wasn't just a simple request. They would have to go to the priest. The priest would have to declare them clean. And then there was a long ritual that they would have to go through. It was going to be costly. And honestly, a lot of it was kind of awkward. If you look back in Leviticus 14, you can read about that. Part of it involves shaving their head and shaving their beard and shaving their eyebrows. Some weird things that had to be done here in the law. They would have their right thumb anointed with oil, their big toe anointed with oil, and then the oil dumped on there. It was just some really crazy things that had to be done. But off these guys went. They were ready to go. Now, if the story ended right here, that would be amazing enough. These guys have gone, and they are seeing themselves healed. That would be a beautiful story. But as as the late Paul Harvey's radio spot used to say, there would be more to give us the rest of the story. You see, one of those men was a Samaritan. He had no priest. Who would he go to? The priest would say, go away, I want nothing to do with you. I don't want to see you. He was still an outcast to the religiously pious. Who would pronounce him clean? The Samaritan turns to his healer, to the one he had called master, and he loudly praised God, and thanked Jesus for healing him. He literally threw himself at Jesus' feet in a clear posture of worship and gave thanks. Whether he knew it or not, he was before what the the writer of Hebrews calls the great high priest. He could be pronounced clean. Jesus accepts his thanks and his worship as he rightly should, In fact, his next statement shows that he was expecting this worship from others as well. We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? This word here literally means alien. It's safe to say the others were quickly headed to find the priests. Therefore, they would have been Jews. They should have known if Jesus could heal them from physical infirmities Of sin, then he could heal them from the spiritual infirmities as well and give them a new life. We've seen it over and over again. You know, the Pharisees weren't so upset at Jesus for healing people, but for healing people on the Sabbath day, but also for healing people and saying, Your sins are forgiven. And of course, Jesus said, To show you that I have powers over sins, I'm going to, or power to forgive sin. I'm going to show you that I have power over the body, that I am God. I am the creator. I am the one that can take this broken body and make it whole. But they refused and they rejected. And like so many others that wanted the physical benefits of what Jesus offered, but not truly make him Lord and master of their lives. You see, John six twenty six, when Jesus had fed uh, many there, he had fed thousands of, they came back to him later and tracked him around and said, we want to make you king. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs or not because you want to worship me, not because you want me to be the master and Lord of your life, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, you want the physical benefits, but you're not willing to surrender to my lordship. That's not the attitude that this outcast Samaritan had. He loudly and publicly exclaimed his faith and his allegiance to Jesus. Jesus tells him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Or literally, it's, it, it could be translated, your faith has saved you. The word for well here is the same root word, the soteria, which we get the word salvation from. The word is sozo, for well. And it's also from where we get the word soteriology or the doctrine of salvation, this This word sozo is used over and over and over again in Luke more than any other book in the Bible. Apparently, Luke was infatuated with the idea of salvation. The word means to deliver out of danger and into safety, and it is used principally of God in rescuing believers from the penalty and power of sin and bringing them into his provision. The others got what they wanted from Jesus, and they returned to life as usual. Thank you, I'm healed, I'm restored, I'm back in charge. They should have known better. I wonder how the disciples felt as they watched all of this unfold. We don't know if Jesus took time to explain this to them, as many times he did, or if the scene was vivid enough to explain itself. We don't know, but we do know there are a few things that we can learn from this short text and this brief encounter. Very quickly here as we close. Number one, all are in a dire situation. Just like these men on our own, our situation is helpless, and on our own, our situation is hopeless. They had no hope. They had no doctor. They had no experimental drug. They had no... um, whatever it may be, that that you would be looking for to find healing. They had no hope. They were completely helpless. No one was going to come along and provide something. No one was working on a cure to leprosy. It was just a matter of time, and it was count down the days. We can't be connected to our families. We can't be connected to our friends. We can't be connected to the place of worship. They were in a dire situation. Number two is this, though. We have a Savior ready to heal. You see, Jesus was on his way back to Jerusalem. Chances are he had been traveling for a long time. He was tired. He probably physically just wanted to find a place to rest, recharge. There's a lot of things coming his way very shortly. There were a lot of things coming to Jesus constantly, anyways. But we have a Savior, no matter what, who's ready to heal. And it's beautiful because his healing is for all. Every single one of these men that called out to him received healing. And his healing comes through faith. You see him tell this man, Your faith has made you well, your, your faith has saved you. So, all are in a dire situation. We have a Savior ready to heal, and our Savior deserves our worship. And just like this Samaritan, we need to worship unashamedly. He didn't care. He didn't care if it was by the the, the religious book. He didn't care who saw him. He worshiped unashamedly. Loudly, and he worshipped thankfully. If somebody mentioned it this morning. This world's really cold and brutal sometimes. I quit watching the news because it's just ridiculous. Some of the things that are happening, you, you just you scratch your head and go, "What is going on? Have we lost the ability to think rationally? Where is common sense gone?" It's upsetting. Uh, some of the things that you see happening. And very quickly that stuff can pull your mind and pull your eyes of all the things that we do have to be thankful for. Even in the midst of a great trial, you can just stop and think, we have a sovereign God who didn't say, oops, I wasn't paying attention, now look what happened. He knows what's going on. He's not fretting. He's not worrying. He knows that we are, and he says, come to me anyways. I've got this. I'll take care of it. A really important thing to remember from this is to don't just go and get what you want from Jesus. Go because he is the one that can take your life and change it. Make sure that when you go back to Jesus, you go back to live on his terms and not on your terms. So in this Thanksgiving season, may we remember one of the best ways for us to worship is by being thankful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for, for what we see, how how you treat Others, how that you go to those who are least deserving. Lord, help us to remember that we, we are in no way deserving. And help us to be thankful and to love you for for who you are and how you have poured out so much abundantly on us. Bless our day. Help us to be thankful in a world that is thankless. And may we shine as lights that point others to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With this please as we close.
1: <laughs> Thanks to the Lord.